Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. It is a joy to be with you today. I'm blessed uh, to be in the company of my brothers and sisters here in this fellowship and to be in the same city, serving the same God, serving the same Jesus, wanting to see his name exalted in our city, in our families, in our lives. Uh, We need to keep our eyes on Jesus in these days. We need to stay in the word of God because there's so many things that are trying to take our attention away and, and we need to love each other. You know, I love that uh, as we, as Peter just had us pray, you know, that we would just keep stirring each other up toward love and good works. That's why we gather. You know that we gather together to hear from God. We gather together to glorify him, but we gather together to, together to edify each other because we're all living stones being fit together. As you guys, as a church family are moving from one building to another temporarily while the building is being changed. Praise the Lord that you, you as a church are not a building made with human hands. You're the church of the living God made with his hands, by his grace, through his pierced hands that have bore the cross, bore the shame, bore the sin for you. And, and I just am blessed to be in your company. Peter is a good, dear friend of mine and a great brother since I've come here from the States uh, over five and a half years ago when God called me to England and, uh, You know, you've got a good pastor here who loves the Lord, who loves the word, and who loves God's people. And so it's a joy to be here with all of you as brethren, as family. And I want to get into the word this morning with you through the Sermon on the Mount. I pray that God has something to speak to everyone here. And can we just ask before we read the word and before we get into the word, can we just pray together that God would just touch our hearts and speak to us how he wants to this morning. So Father... We quiet our hearts and we recognize that you speak the words of eternal life. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. But all the word testifies of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we read the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, as we read this section of it that we'll be looking at today, Lord, may you open our eyes to see more clearly the things that we need to be putting into practice in our lives, the things that, Lord, are true of your kingdom that are not true of this world. And since we've been called out of this world, out of darkness and into your marvelous light, our desire is to, Lord, let your word be our food and that we would be nourished and we would grow by it and that, Lord, we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. But we thank you that we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that in your strength and not in our strength. And so, Lord, would you just speak to every heart here today? Personally speak, prophetically speak. Lord, just let your word speak because your word gives life. And we pray, Lord, that right now our ears would be open to hear what your spirit would say. So speak now in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. So turn with me to Matthew chapter seven is where we will be looking today in the first six verses of this chapter. As you know, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, three wonderful chapters of chapters five, six, and seven in Matthew. And Jesus is kind of wrapping up his sermon at this point, saying things after he's kind of done a inside out work of our hearts. Because, you know, when, when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's basically showing things from how God sees it. It's interesting that Jesus is actually on an elevated place 
the Mount of Beatitudes, I've had a chance to be there in Israel. And when I was reading this sermon, I had a chance to actually just speak it out, sitting on a rock to a whole bunch of people. It was actually a great thing, much like Jesus did. It was a great privilege for me. But one of the things you realize when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount is it's, it's seeing things from God's perspective. It's showing things according to his kingdom versus the way man works versus the way the kingdom of the world works. And so when you get to chapter seven, Jesus has already showed us that sin is more than what we do outwardly. It's what's going on in the heart. And actually, when you get to chapter seven, he wants to emphasize that a bit more because he says these words. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So as we read these words that Jesus has spoken to his disciples, we discover that actually, whether you were there at the Sermon on the Mount or not, or whether you even have ever gone to a Bible study throughout your life, why is it that all people in the world seem to know this particular text? Judge not, lest you be judged. How many of you have heard people quote that to you, especially if you've tried sharing Jesus with them or you've brought up something of truth to them? Many people in the world use this passage as a means of doing one of two things, either to deflect the attention off of themselves when there is sin in their life. Hey, man, don't judge me. (laughs) You know, hey, doesn't your Bible say, let he use without the first stone or without sin cast the first stone? You know, and and so people want to deflect their own sin and quote this words. Jesus says, judge not, judge not. Another reason why people quote this is, in a sense, to say we should be accepting of any form of lifestyle, any form of decision that somebody makes in their lives. Like if somebody's chosen to do this, who are you to judge? If somebody says, well, I believe that we should do this, who are you to say otherwise? And so these are both two very uh, misused applications of Jesus' sermon here. Because clearly what we want to start off with is that Jesus knows that God has actually called us to make judgments. You say, well, what judgment should we make? Well, let's start with this. The Bible is a book of distinctions. The Bible tells us what is right, and it tells us what is wrong. The Bible tells us what brings life. And what brings death? The Bible tells us what's good and what is evil. The Bible tells us what we should do in certain circumstances. And these are the judgments of God. The Bible gives us clear distinctions and definitive words. And our responsibility is not to pick and choose which parts of the Bible we like. We can't use the Bible as a menu and say, I'll take some of Matthew 5, but hold chapter 7, please. We can't say, you know, I'll, I'll do this commandment, but, you know, the other commandment, Lord, I think you're a little outdated on that one. I mean, this is 2012. Lord, times have changed. So I know your word says this, but according to my perspective and my culture, we say this. See, our job as Christians is not to make new judgments on the word of God. 
Listen, as we read the Bible, do you know what needs to happen? The Bible needs to read us. We need to let God's word show us our hearts. And one of the beautiful things about scripture is scripture has a way of piercing the heart. What does Hebrews 4.12 say? The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces through the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Somehow when you read the Bible, God's light comes into your dark heart and things get clear. Why? Because God makes distinctions. God makes judgments. God speaks truth statements all throughout his word. Now, of course, just because you read something in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean, oh, it's in the Bible. So therefore, we need to read things in context. Yes. We need to realize that some things in the Bible are descriptive, not prescriptive. What do I mean by that? Sometimes the Bible's describing an event that took place, and it's not that God approved of it. It's just giving you the historical account of what happened. Just like the news. We don't blame BBC when they tell us about a murder that went on and say, how are you for murder? Because you just told the story. No, we're just telling you what happened. The Bible does the same thing. Things are sometimes descriptive in the Bible, but they're not prescriptive. It's not what God's prescribed for us. But listen, everyone, the first lesson that we need to realize is, is that if we're going to be obedient to God, we need to make the same judgment on things that God makes. You know, the word confession, we all know that we need to confess our sin, right? But you know that the word confession in the Bible is actually used in more places, not dealing with sin, but in professing our faith in Christ. Like, for example, we need to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word in the Greek is homo legeo. Homo means same. Logeo comes from where the word we get logos or the word. And so what we're saying every time we can make a confession is we're saying the same thing the Lord says about something. So when God says something is sin, I need to say the same thing that God says about it. It's still sin. So what does Jesus mean when he says, when he says not to judge? to judge not lest you be judged. He's not saying to not uphold the word of God. That would be against what he says later on in the chapter. If anyone hears my sayings and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains descended and the floods came, the wind blew and beat on the house. It didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. So we need to hear what God says, do what God says, and make the same judgments God makes on things. Whatever God says in the word, we as Christians need to say amen to it. Amen? If God says you are to love one another, you're to love one another. God says to love your enemies, you're to love your enemies. God says to bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and to pray for those who spitefully use you, as Jesus will go on to say, then we do that. But here's the thing. We need to know the difference between good judging and bad judging. And you see, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus is actually in the context showing us that there are judgments we do need to make. I mean, for example, look at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearl before swine. How do you know who are dogs and who are swine unless you make a judgment? How do you know whether you should give holy something holy to someone or not? Well, you make a judgment. If you look a little bit later in the chapter, when you get to, to verses 15 and 16, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. If you don't make a judgment, how will you know if they're a false prophet? If you accept every word that somebody speaks in the name of Jesus and you don't test it with scripture or you don't discern things in the spirit, then, then you are, you can say, oh, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm open to everything. Well, you shouldn't be open to everything. You should be open to what God opens to us from scripture, from his storehouse of wisdom, from what he gives to us. So understand, is that clear? We do have judgments we do need to make. 
But what Jesus is clearly speaking of is the judgments we make onto each other. About the way we, we make judgments about a person's heart or a person's motive or a person's actions. You see, we all have issues in our lives that God's dealing with. I mean, is that just true? Is God working on you in some areas in your life? Paul said, not that I'm already perfected or that I've already attained, but one thing I do. Forgetting the things that are behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in Philippians chapter 3. So we're, we're all growing, which means, listen everyone, since we're all growing and we're all being built up in our faith, we're going to come across areas of sin in our lives, areas of immaturity in our lives, and we need to be careful on how we treat each other when we notice such things. When you notice a brother or sister who just doesn't seem to be loving the way they should, or they don't seem to be serving the way they should, or they don't seem to be getting rid of certain sins that they should be over with in their life, Jesus would say first, judge not lest you be judged, because with what judgment you use, you'll be judged. With what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So in other words, if you are going to hold people to the standards of the word, make sure first of all, you're holding yourself to the standards of the word. But, but furthermore, the Lord is teaching us that it's really easy to notice other people's sins. It's really easy to notice the imperfections of my brother or my sister, or if you're married, your wife, your husband. I mean, all of us in this room can tell you the full list. I'll tell you what's wrong with my wife or with my husband. And, and so with, but, but then when, when a table gets turned, well, how about you? How are you doing in your marriage? Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you submitting to your husband as the church submits to Christ? Are you honoring each other and encouraging each other and serving each other? Are you, well, but, but, this, but, but you don't understand. You don't, know how, you don't know what it's like living in my home. No, I don't know what it's like living in your home. But if it's anything like my home, it's, there's probably some selfishness there, some imperfection there. There's areas where God's working on. So what we have to make sure we, we don't do is we got to make sure that we don't get caught up in looking at people trying to fix everyone without having a humble heart that says, God, and I love what David prayed in Psalm 139. Oh God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me ask you honestly, is it a regular part of your Christian life to ask God to examine your heart? Because those who do so are in the best position to be an encouragement to the brethren. Because they're starting from a place of humility. And when they do bring an encouraging word, they're coming as one who knows, I need mercy. I know that I can have a blind spot. And I need God to reveal things in my own life and in my own heart. So Lord, if I could be used of you to bless my brothers and sisters, then use me. But let me not be those who just start judging at random or at will. Let me be careful but that the measure I use will be measured back to me. Now, here's a scary thought. You ready for this one? What if every single time on earth, you ready for this? What if every time on earth you said, um, every time, you, you know, because we say things like, you know, you really shouldn't, or, you know, you really should do this. You know, when it, whenever you make a statement to somebody else about what they should or shouldn't do, what if when you stood before the Lord, when your days are numbered on the earth and you take your last breath on this earth and your first breath in the presence of God, what if he says to you, I want to recall all those times you said you should have, you, you shouldn't have. And then God looks at you and says, I want to hold you accountable 
to each of those times. And I want to point out any time that you didn't live up to your own principle or to your own standard. Because it's really easy to make excuses in our lives as Christians of why we're not moving forward with God because we're looking at other people and finding out where they're unfaithful. You know, there are people today who, who don't want to be gathering with a church like this because they say the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Or, oh, I used to go to church, but, you know, the reality is, you know what, I don't feel like I'm loved there. I don't feel like people meet my needs there. I don't feel like people really care about me. And maybe that's true. Maybe there were some people that have been really wounded by past experiences. Maybe there's some truth in that. But you see, that person's totally missing the mark altogether anyway. Because if you really know the love of Jesus, you're not gathering with God's people so that you can see who's going to minister to me. Who's going to meet my need? How am, I mean, yes, we do need to have our needs met. And we gather together and praise the Lord for the way the Holy Spirit moves through the body to bring life and encouragement and strength to us all. But the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. In Proverbs eleven twenty five, it says the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will be watered himself. You know, lots of people who say there's hypocrites there and, and, and there's no love there are the same people that you discover, boy, there doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency in your life either. And so Jesus wants to make a point here. And, and he says in verse three, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but you do not consider the plank in your own eye. It's almost humorous the way Jesus uses this illustration. A plank. A plank is like a, a big, huge wooden beam. Imagine a person walking with a big, huge beam hanging out of their eye going, hey, you over there, I can see a speck on you. You know? I mean, that's why Jesus teaches like this. It's hyperbole. It's, it's, it's an exaggerated form to show you, actually, it's really easy to start going around being a speck inspector. But when you've got planks in your own life and you're not dealing with those things? You know, when I was growing up in my home, there was a lot of dysfunctionality in my home. My parents, they, they were born and raised in the Bronx in New York, all right? In New York, it can be tough on the streets in New York. My, my dad grew up in the, in the streets where he didn't have hardly anything into work when he was, start, you know, was 12 years old. And my dad had a lot of pain in his life, a lot of hurt. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, when I was young, opened my eyes early. I became a Christian when I was 10. And when I was about 12 years old, I started feeling a calling of the Lord on my life in the ministry. And it all began with my family. It began with God exposing to me that the battle that's going on in my home is more than flesh and blood. It's spiritual. And that God needs to bring liberty to my dad who's held captive by his past because he was verbally and physically abused and went through a lot of hurt and pain in his life. And so my dad was scarred. My dad was a hurting boy trapped in a big man's body. My dad's a big guy, you know, big, deep New York accent, you know, hey, how you doing over there, you know? He's just, that's how he speaks, you know? But the thing is, my dad was a hurting boy that had never healed. And he was carrying a lot of pain with him, and he was just infusing it on us as a family. Yelling, arguing, cursing was a norm in our house. Maybe it is in yours. Maybe you grew up like that. But what God showed me was, Joey, your dad's acting that way outwardly because there's something inwardly where he needs healing, where he needs to be touched. And what Jesus is really bringing out here is, you know, a lot of us look at specks in the eyes of others, but the plank, the deep-rooted things, those things that are steadfast and hard, these are the things that only God can move out of our lives. And we need to ask the Lord to do those things. We need to, 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 to be those who say, Lord, remove these obstacles. And you know, 
I used to pray for my dad. I used to get on my knees when my dad was yelling at my mom and pray for God to heal him. And at a young age, what God taught me was, Joey, if you don't pray for the people who have sin in their life, you can get your heart in the wrong place. You can get bitter or use that as an excuse of why you're that way. So rather than making the victim chain go, I'm a victim because my dad was a victim and then his dad was a victim and it just carries on and goes, this is life. I've had a, I got a chip on my block. Jesus wants to take the chip out of our lives and get rid of that by teaching us mercy, teaching us grace. In Micah chapter six, verse eight, it says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus fulfilled all three of those things. Jesus was the only just one who always did justly. He was the only one who loved mercy to a point where mercy triumphed over death, triumphed over judgment, and we are forgiven by his grace. And you know what's amazing? Jesus even walked humbly before God. I mean, he is God, and yet he humbled himself and became a bondservant so he could serve humanity. In Psalm 119, we read the word, seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. See, we praise God because what God says in his word is true, but none of us can live up to it perfectly. We all need a measure of grace in our lives. We all need to be forgiven. And we need to extend the same mercy to others that God shows to us. And so it's, we gotta be really careful. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us how to have our heart be in the right place. You know, if you wanna properly interpret any passage in the Sermon on the Mount, you need to understand the very first teaching of it. The Sermon on the Mount begins where it says, and when he saw the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I used to read those words and get a little confused. Poor in spirit, what does that mean, Lord? I, I, I know spiritual things are good, so I want to be rich in the spirit. Jesus says, no, you need to be poor in the spirit. In other words, what he's the first teaching is, you need to see your spiritual bankruptcy apart from Christ. You need to realize that you can't make yourself righteous. In God's kingdom, you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. You see, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom. So what he's talking about is kingdom language. And to understand kingdom language and kingdom principles and kingdom teachings, you've got to enter into the kingdom. Jesus told us in John 3 how to enter the kingdom. You must be born again of the spirit. So you see, before I'm born again in the spirit, I have to recognize I'm first poor in the spirit that I'm starting with. You see how that works? So blessed are you who are poor in the spirit, who understand your poverty, who understand your need, and then yours is the kingdom. Then you can walk in the kingdom and you can start living the way he's calling us to live in the Sermon on the Mount. See, the Sermon on the Mount is unattainable when you're living according to the old man in Adam. But it actually is something we can put into practice with the power of the Spirit in our lives when we become a part of his kingdom and we're born again. So we need to let God have his way in us. So the first point is to let God be judge. Only make judgments where God makes judgments. And if you don't really know what's going on in someone's life, be a part of their healing. Don't be a part of their sin and their bondage. See, I prayed for my dad to be healed. And one day I got to walk with my dad through a park and talk to my dad about grace. 
And I got to pray with my dad when he didn't have any assurance of his salvation. And I used to say, dad, you'll never be good enough. But there's good news. God sent Jesus who is good enough. And remember when Jesus was baptized, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, pleased, pleased. It sounded just like that, by the way. Understand this. When you receive Jesus into your life, that's how the father sees you. You become a son and daughter of God and he's pleased with you. Amen. God looks at all of you today and he's pleased with you, not because of your specks or your planks, but because of the two planks that were put together when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus Christ hung there on that cross, he was taking out the specks and he had already known there was no plank in his life. So he was able to be a pure sacrifice for us. So the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter six, verse one, if we're going to help our brothers and sisters out, we need to become spiritual people, people who are born again of the spirit and who put all of our dependency on God. And in Galatians 6, 1, this is what we read. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, that means they have specks in their lives, okay? If a man is overtaken in any trespass, it says this. It says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in, and here's a very important point, in a spirit of gentleness. And then it goes on to say, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. See, we need to consider ourselves, brothers and sisters, to make sure that we are aware of how easy it is to get prideful, self-righteous, to get blinded to our own sins. I, I don't know if you heard, just recently I heard a story. I don't know if you ever like, go on the God tube or you get those things. I actually just uh, recently heard this story of a man who has, uh, his wife had cancer. And his wife, uh, when she found out she had breast cancer, it, was, it got very serious and she had to go through the whole chemotherapy. And so she lost her hair. And because the husband loved his wife, you know what he did? He shaved his head so he can be like his wife. Good man. He just wanted to say, honey, I'm in this with you. Where you go, man, I'm going there with you. We're side by side. We're, we're husband and wife through thick and thin, for better or for worse, till death do us part. We're together in this. Well, guess what? After he shaved his head, there was this huge spot on the top of his head, a big black melanoma spot that was in stage three cancer. And he was in worse shape than his wife. And had he not shaved his own hair on his own head, he would have never known that he had cancer. The story is such that they were able to get it just in the nick of time. They were able to put him through treatments, you know, and by the grace of God, he's healed. And what a story that you can be looking at your wife saying, oh, I'm going to have compassion. You, I'm going to help you. And sometimes you don't even know you're the one that needs help too. Consider yourself. Consider yourself. And listen, the Holy Spirit has been given to the whole church, the whole body of Christ, so that we can help each other. But we need to use the light that we receive from God to build each other up, not to tear down. If you notice sin or you notice a weakness in your brother and sister, that's an opportunity for you to pray for them, for you to encourage them and to build them up. To illustrate this, and I'm going to bring this to a close in a minute here, is the story of David in the Bible. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. He said, one thing have I desired, Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David loved the Lord. But like any man or woman who loves the Lord, Satan is out to get you. And the world has fallen. And we still have Adam's flesh that we inherited which means David was able to be tempted with Bathsheba. You know the story. 
And when David was enticed by this beautiful woman, when he should have been on the war, when he should have been in a better position, and that's one of the key things is keep yourself in the right position with God. But when David should have been on the battlefield, he was home and he looked over and there he saw a beautiful woman on the balcony and he had her brought over. And of course, he committed sexual morality with this woman. And then he killed her husband to cover his sin. And you know, for a whole year, David had the heaviness of his own sin. Imagine carrying planks in your life that you don't let go of. Some of you here today, the spirit of God is not able to freely love through you because of a perhaps unconfessed sin or undealt with issues in our lives. Well, the story goes in 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7. You can read it later. Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and says, David, I want to tell you about a man, a rich man, who had all this wealth and all these lambs and all this stuff. And there was this poor man who had one little ewe lamb. And he had some visitors, and he wanted to show hospitality to them and treat them. So he took the one poor little man's ewe lamb, and he took it for himself, killed it, and used it for the feast. David got enraged. How dare that man take from that little poor man? That's terrible to take one little man's poor little ewe lamb. That's all he had. And to use it for that purpose. He had so much wealth, he could have used his own. And after David made that judgment, he learned the lesson that Jesus was teaching. Judge not, lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. With what measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And Nathan the prophet said to David, you are that man. You are that man. And then David gulped. And he was found out. His sin had found him out. And brothers and sisters, praise God when your sin is found out. You don't want to be carrying anything concealed or hidden with God. God wants to keep all things in light in our lives. And David, of course, did repent. He did ask for forgiveness. But he still reaped the consequences of those things. And his own harsh judgment that he spoke even on that day was a part of the judgment that went into his family. And God had to deal with his family very severely. And of course, he lost the child that uh, he had through Bathsheba. And David knew great heartache in the end of his life in those ways. Didn't get to build the temple that he wanted to build, but prepared the way for Solomon. And I bring this to a close this morning to say this. God loves the world. God is wanting to save people out there. And we need to be moved with compassion for the lost because they're weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. But when you have a shepherd, you need to let the shepherd take care of you and lead your life. And you need to walk on those paths of righteousness, but you need to help people look at the shepherd too. The greatest way we help each other out is to point people to the goodness of Jesus. Because when people see how good Jesus is, it's the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And the more we show how good Jesus is, and the more we make much of Jesus, and the more we showcase him, the more we will want to know him, the more we will want to show him, the more we will want to help people turn to him. And that's how we need to help each other out because people are blinded out there. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and we'll close with this. When it speaks about this world, it says, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Brothers and sisters, let your light so shine. But let your light shine knowing that the light you're shining is Jesus. He had to come into your life to change you. Be an instrument for God to come into other people's lives to change them. Pray for your family. 
Pray for your unbelieving friends. Pray for the people of this community because only Jesus can lift that veil. Only God can draw them to a right relationship with himself. But we need to walk as humble people who love God and who love each other. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for these words that there is judgments that we need to make. We need to say the same thing that you say about things, Lord. In a world where many people are compromising and, and saying all kinds of things that are wrong, that are, that are false. They're even changing your scripture saying that the, the world has changed, the times have changed. Well, that may be true. But Lord, you've already told us that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And when you make a judgment, it's forever. When you make a decision, that needs to be our decision. What you love, we need to love. What you hate, we need to hate. We need to cling to what is good and abhor what is evil. But we need to love one another in such a way where when one weeps, we want to weep. When one is rejoicing, we want to rejoice. And Lord, I pray that you would always cause us to pray if there's any planks in our own eyes, things we can't see, and that we would be a part of people's healing rather than a part of adding to the bondage. May we not be those who make excuses for our own sins, Lord, but may we realize it's a good thing when our sin gets exposed. The Bible says a wise person loves rebuke, but it's a foolish person that turns away. Father, I pray that we would welcome people who want to speak truth into our lives, but I pray that, Lord, we would have gentle spirits when we do, humble hearts as we live, because we all need to grow in your grace. None of us are perfected yet, but we know that through Jesus, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And I pray right now, would you grab a hold of the vision today that God doesn't just see people as they are. He sees people the way they will become. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The reason why they don't know what they do is because they're blinded. And all of us were blind people, but now we see. And it's by grace that we're saved through faith and not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. So help us, Lord, to extend grace to others, mercy to others, love and compassion to others so that we can be a light in our community and be a blessing to our brethren. Lord, may we pray for others before we speak with them. May we encourage them before we just point out their, their flaws or their weaknesses. Lord, may we come alongside the herding sheep. May we be moved with compassion for all people. And I pray you do that in all my brothers and sisters here today. Would you work in our hearts and cause us to learn from these words in the Sermon on the Mount. Help us, Lord, to keep the holy things for people who are ready to receive it. And help us, Lord, to be led of your spirit when we do. Lord, have your way in our hearts. Get rid of any bitterness or pride in us. And we do say, God, search us right now. If there's anything in our lives that's not pleasing to you, please change us first. And then once we're changed, we can be a part of the solution to the problems of those around us. Let your love work through us, Lord. For out of our hearts are meant to be torrents of living water. May your living water run through us. May your living water heal lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church 
or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.